the Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC on ESPN 11 Breakdown, picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. What is up, you savages? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Tom. Analysts' work you'd find over at MMAJunkie.com. And on this year's program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do today tonight. Whenever you're listening to this, hopefully it's before the fight, recording this uh, around 8 p.m. Uh, West Coast uh, Pacific time, uh, specifically in Las Vegas, where hashtag UFC Las Vegas 3 UFC on ESPN 11, the fight card that we will be breaking down in question will be taking place. Uh, so it'll be out tonight as well. So you guys should have plenty of times to uh, listen to this uh, from the weigh-ins and onward. Um, we'll kind of weigh in on the weigh-ins because we've been having some weight misses. But before I get too far in, let me just remind those of you uh, who are normal listeners, especially those who aren't. Um, you can always check the timestamps, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts or the uploaded version on YouTube or any other podcast platform or the hosting site, MixedMartialAnalyst.com, which carries smartphone-friendly players there. I always have timestamps in the show notes, especially for these breakdown iterations of the show. You can check the timestamp for when the breakdown starts, albeit there won't be a lot to cut through, nor this, should this be a long show, especially since we already recap the previous card so we don't have to worry about that here and of course at the end of all breakdown episodes i recap all of my picks and all of my plays in case you're in a rush or you just don't feel like listening to me which again i don't blame you (laughs) on the latter um all righty uh yes dan we get it you're self-deprecating humor (laughs) ha 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 no but seriously I, i appreciate you guys uh joining me um Thank you also. Just real quick, some shouts before we get to the breakdown. Um, Like I just warned, just want to get some shouts and some listener questions out of the way, which you can always hit us up at the podcast, at the PYN Podcast on all social platforms. Give us a follow there. It's a huge help. Uh, And I don't spam your feeds. Or you can DM me directly at DanTomMMA on Twitter. Uh, And also, again, subscribe. You maybe can't reach out there unless we're doing live, you know, one of the live shows. But still, uh, it helps for the likes and subscribes on the old YouTube channel, Daniel Tom MMA. Thank you so much. And thanks for the uh, love on the article earlier this week. I know I kind of hinted at it. Um, you know, it was really hard to write, as you can see why. Um, you know, you open, your, you open yourself up when you write about uh, certain topics. And especially if you write about anything that you know involves yourself because... You know, whether it comes off wrong, right, spirit, it was intended, or or, or so on, you, you never want to sound like you're an authority on anything. And even things that I specialize in, like this breakdown stuff, even that, you guys know, I'm not, I don't fucking, I'm not the authority, I've never claimed to be, um, so I'm always very careful about that, even in my specialties of sorts, much less than something I don't specialize in, like the old op-ed or writing. Uh, that being said, I, I've got a lot of compliments from a lot of people that it counts, from colleagues, uh, 
non-colleagues, colleagues from competitor sides, colleagues from my side, people, all of which people who can write a whole lot better than me, by the way. Um, so to hear that feedback, you know, and then especially to, you know, uh, which again, probably no surprise, but just, you know, whether it was people of a platform or colleagues or just random followers, uh, a lot of people, you know, of color or you know, other minorities, sexual or otherwise, you know, definitely just appreciated um, just that kind of a voice. So thank you guys uh, for that. Um, as far as the negative stuff goes, you know, that that was expected, I guess. With anything like that, like I said, you know, you get, there's a lot of fair and well-meaning stuff there. And, and again, I, I claim to be no authority. That wasn't the point. But as you know, Dan Tom here, I also believe for better or worse in speaking honestly. And some of the best ways to speak honestly is to tether your own story or to come at something that's been beaten to death um, to kind of tie it to your own experiences. So again, this isn't going to be the Dan Tom political hour or activism hour. Um, you know, uh I'm not trying to woke flex, you know, there, there, there's plenty of things, if, if that was the case, you would have heard from me, but you, you're not going to hear about any of that stuff, uh, you know, uh, whether it's care packages or anything else, but if you do have a platform, there are certain things that maybe, at least, you know, teach their own, but for me, uh, some things that I felt wasn't uh, important to speak on, um, so... Uh, Thank you. Not not going to get into it. We're going to go go back, get back to breakdowns here. Don't worry. But um, but I I I just definitely wanted to voice my appreciation because um, it's it's funny you know the whole COVID stuff you know kind of exposes a lot of a lot of dumb people. This whole you know uh, for, uh, the unfortunate George Floyd tragedy and onward protests have kind of exposed a lot of racists. And um, Twitter, for the most part, usually exposes bottom feeders, and I think or will always expose slash encourage bottom feeding, which is a whole other conversation. But that doesn't mean there aren't really cool people too, man. And I'm super grateful for those cool people. I'm super grateful for you guys. Also grateful for Nate Evans, who came on the program at MMA True Fan for episode 200. You know, another parlay of the thank yous to knock out. Just, just thank you guys again there. Episode 200, some kind words. And whatnot, um, and I just appreciate you guys. Appreciate Nate's time. Uh, hopefully, you dug the uh, extra impromptu episode. And last shout here to Ant Evans and his Bruce Lee article, which is awesome. I shared it. Um, it's on his blog, I believe. It's like Ultimate Insiders. I don't want to quote the address. I'll slaughter it. But uh, Ant Evans on Twitter, great Twitter follow, and I always learn something when I exchange. With Ant, and um, it was a very, you know, I, I learned a ton from that article, man, and uh, uh, about Bruce Lee, and and uh, I appreciate his position because, you know, at the end of the day, we all maybe focus on different things or choose different routes to get there, but I completely agree with Ant that too many people focus on the myth and not the man, um, and, and there's a lot to unpack with that, and Ant does a good job, so go check that out. All right, um, MMA, at MMA underscore Yusuf uh, has... Uh, Two questions I think I can answer relatively quickly, and we'll jump right to this breakdown. First one is, what would happen if Khabib took Maya down? I'm assuming it's um, an MMA. I'm also going to assume that, you know, it's at welterweight, or, you know, because uh, that's the only way class it could happen. And three, I'm going to assume it's not, I, I don't know what prime Maya is, but we'll just call it developed Maya, uh, which is later in Maya career, these last, you know, five years. You know, from welterweight on, uh, 
my, that iteration of Maya. Um, because if it was the younger iteration, then perhaps Habib would have to worry about the triangle arm bars series that Damien would hit in the gi and out of the gi. In a lot of tournaments, like back in the days where he was competing in open weights and like tapping heavyweights and shit. But as we've seen Damien's game progress, he's embraced wrestling. He's got his whole, which I'm not going to re-dive into. People know the spiel here, the whole half guard uh, sitting up into a single leg game. And I, I believe that's what he would do. Um, I think he would have some successes at least uh, early on in the grappling contest, and perhaps we could see some of the game off of the back that you know we've only gotten to see glimpses of from early on in his matches with Abel Trujillo to the glimpses of him, you know, hitting triangles, but then from the mount and then dropping to his back and finishing uh, from the pro FC days. But you could tell that there's a lot there that Khabib can grapple off of his back, and I think we would be forced to see that at some point of the fight. I'll take the easy answer here uh, and, and say it would probably be like a Randy Couture, Jacare Souza situation where they would go to a draw. Uh, of course, I'm referencing a grappling match, not an MMA fight that we just hypothetically contextualized there. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's really it's really tough to say because of the savvy from top and bottom. And even though Maya is old, he grapples to his style, is very strong, is going to have that, 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 that size. And... Um, but yet both guys are familiar, at least conceptually, with a lot of the positions each man likes to play off of. So I would love to nerd out, nerd out, and my, you know, uh, you know, you know, I would be uh, very excited to say the least uh, to watch that. Um, so apologies on the wish wash answer, but that's my answer. Takedown scoring. Um, I don't want to cheat his context, but he was essentially asking me about uh, how are takedowns scored in the UFC? Does damage need to be accumulated to win a round, or is a takedown enough? Seen fights scored differently. Yeah, yeah, we have seen scored fights scored differently. Traditionally, you know, in the mid to late aughts especially, I mean, the takedown had already established itself by then in MMA and scoring and stylistically. Um, however, we've seen the trend in the last few years or so, I would say. We've been, you know, five to three years or so, we've been slowly moving away uh, from rewarding the takedown, even control time to a certain extent, uh, depending if damage is being done. And damage is the key word. Damage is a word that I, I try to use a lot. Um, again, it, with the way judging breaks down, you really can be open to interpretation. Um, I know, uh, I don't know if he shared it in a minute, but shouts to Sean Sheehan. I know he had, I think it was Ben Cartlidge on one of his podcasts. And they do a great job... Um, kind of breaking down uh, judging that I recommend you guys go listen to. Um, but damage, I just try to keep things simple and really focus and emphasize on damage um, as it, you know, it should be a primary uh, primary score. And now they're attaching that, whether it's the takedown itself or the control time uh, gotten from the takedown, or at least they should in theory. Again, We've seen it score differently. We've seen it not just score, but officiated differently, right? And how much time they're being allowed to uh, work and whatnot. So each is up to interpretation. Each is up to argument. But takedowns to seal the round, that used to be a, a big trend. Um, we've seen that go, go away. That doesn't really do much um, these days. So you really, you really got to be committed to your takedown game, and you really got to do something with it. Um, and have the cardio to, to push that game in case you can't get to your finishing position. So, uh, again, grappling attrition's a motherfucker. Um, you know, uh, casuals might complain about it, but, but boy, is it really tough and 
whether you, I, or anyone else agrees with with it or not, it's only going to get tougher in MMA. All right, 12 minutes in. Hopefully that was a good enough answer. We're going we're gonna to blow through this breakdown here. UFC and ESPN 11, headlined by Curtis Blades, who is now inflated to a minus 430 favorite against Alexander Volkov, plus 345 in the main event. Um, Alexander Volkov looking to reestablish his place as the dark horse, whereas... Curtis Blades, um, despite having an obvious roadblock of Francis Ngannou, has never really been a dark horse because he's always been the favorite in his fights, and rightfully so. I mean, I don't think I picked against him yet. I picked him, picked him to beat Ngannou the first time and the second time. So as asinine as it sounds to have him the favorite, this, at least for the second time, I mean, I get it. I was picking him as well. Um, granted, I wasn't like uber confident, but it just just saying. Uh, I did the in-depth on MMAJunkie.com. Hopefully you checked it out. Uh, thanks for Benny out for the shout. I just saw that before I hopped on here to record on Twitter. Uh, talking about the dipping propensities, the upper body level changes of Curtis. Um, yeah, he. You know, we've seen him in the positive as far as adapting that wrestling into striking and using the striking to get into his wrestling. Hence, you'll see him do a really good job of rolling off of his twos. It's one of my favorite things. Um, and boxing, striking, MMA, rolling off that too, baby. You want to commit to your power punch? Well, it's easier to commit knowing you have an exit plan. And uh, rolling out from it's a pretty decent exit plan. Um, and it can, you know, chain to other things like uh, double power, double leg takedowns. As, um, you know, obviously, George Champier gets a ton of credit, as he should, for doing the strikes to level changing takedowns. But one Rashad Evans particularly when we're talking about rolling off the twos and using it for your double leg entries. Um, he was really helping write that book at that time um, in the mid to late aughts uh, as well. So, um, yeah, Curtis is doing his own version of that. He's been shifting much better with his footwork while we're staying on the striking, uh, you know, shifting his stance, uh, not just shifting his stance, but looking for, and not that outside angles on the open stance, southpaw to orthodox or end-all be-alls, but you can tell he's looking for that. More importantly, he's looking for that in the sense of, it almost reminds me of a Kamara Usman. You know, they obviously move much differently. They're in, in different weight classes, but um, both these guys are, 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 are very athletic wrestlers who can move very well. And you see them shift their stance, not for flashy stuff like, look at me, I want you to worry about the strikes I'm going to throw, or I'm going to switch up and not for a look at me, but I'm just going to hit you with the strikes because I'm a badass stance shifter. It's not necessarily neither of the two. It's, again, why why I, I compare him to the Kamara Usman, because it, it's all with a corralling theme to it. And um, Blaze is getting much better at that, and... That's a dangerous proposition for Volkov, considering they're going to be fighting in a smaller cage. These are very big men. Uh, that being said, kind of what um, I originally started off when referencing Benny's quote tweet on my article was the upper body dipping propensities and to attack one on there, shelling propensities of Curtis Blades. As we know the shell or variations of your shell defense, basically hands up um, by the sides of your face there. Uh, it's going to open up to body shots and uppercuts up the center. Shots down the center in that fashion. Um, and Volkov, as we've seen throughout his career, but you know particularly in that Verdum finish that he got, 
He's got a pretty good uppercut there. Accurate. He'll spam it once he finds it, too. He's not afraid of doing that, especially facing a guy who wants to grapple with him. So that's going to be the punch to look out for in this fight in general. Um, again, Blades, he beat Dos Santos uh, to the punch, which I know Dos Santos is aging. That's a whole other story. But the point is, Blades, yes, I'm not dismissing him on the feet. He could end this fight on the feet um, as well. I mean, look what happened with Derek Lewis third round, right? You got to counter the kick or those knees at the right time. Volkov loves those knees. But the uppercut, I think, will be the shot to look for. And kind of like Blades tweeted not too long ago, uh, before getting on here, he's um, saying don't expect a 25-minute um, war on the feet. He's going to wrestle and ragdoll uh, Volkov. Um all the lines are pretty much too inflated. Um, I got Blades a little early, but even that I was kind of, eh, I'm putting him on. It's just my, I know, three-leg parlay. It's you, You're you're not looking for a sharp place here if you're trying to follow me off that cliff. But I do play parlays for fun, folks, and as per usual, I'm going to be very honest about what I play, as I always am. And um, <laughs> I did put Blades in a three-leg uh, <laughs> theme parlay, if you want to say here. As we will get to that. Uh, Shane Burgos, minus 245. Oh, yeah, I got Curtis Blades uh, you know, getting Volkov down. And I think Volkov's um, improved scrambling ability where he like wants to turtle and stuff is just going to get him abused by a wrestling rider, Matt Returner, like Blades. So, yeah, meet us all. I think the uh, traditional holes of Volkov's going to cost him. Third round TKO. Shane Burgos, co-main event, minus 145. versus Josh Emmett, plus 125. I, um... I, I, like I always say, folks, I try to limit reading and listening to, especially those I, I, I admire because you got to keep the filter clean. But every time Josh Emmett fights, I, I, I can't help but think of uh, shout out to Phil McKenzie from the Heavy Hand podcast. Uh, uh, <laughs> I forget what he said a couple of fights ago or something. He said Josh Emmett was like, it was like uh, one of the people from uh, Fury Road. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, Jesus Christ. Uh, and, um, and yeah, I think, uh, I, I don't want to, I already butchered one person, so I don't want to butcher two, but, um, yeah, I think shouts to Danny Martin from the fight site who also had a funny one. Poor Josh Emmett, man. <laughs> he seems like such a nice guy too. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, <laughs> wow, Dan, where were you going with that? <laughs> Jesus Christ, just cut the guy. <laughs> hey folks, I mean, I'm, I'm a cross between fucking... Short rounds, retarded son, and uh, Drew and an Asian Drew Carey. Okay, so believe me, I'm not. <laughs> Dan, you said you weren't going to use the R word. Okay, I'm sorry, folks. I apologize. I apologize. Do not uh, crucify for me. Protecting that podcast was canceled today for its consecutive use of the R word. Um, just kidding, folks. Uh, 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 uh. In fact, you folks might know why I'm. Uh, I'm actually. I'm actually. I'm actually more sensitive than you might, you might realize when it comes to that too. Oh, not an article, Dan. Get with the breakdown. Okay, I'm fine. I'm going to the breakdown. I'm just saying, it's not mean spirited. Um, dude, this was tough. I, I, I really. I. So. The the cards have been so crazy and everything's been so crazy with the, the rolling rolling furloughs and whatnot. We've just been kind of getting our picks in early at Junkie and not even just doing the main card. We're just kind of submitting picks for the whole card, and um, it's I yeah I hate doing revisions and da 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 da. You know 
making in you know anyone over there junkie do any more extra work or anything like that. And uh, but I also, you know, I'm careful about making picks too early because then you know, it taints a bias. So, anyways, um, I'll come clean as I always do with fights that I haven't done the in depth tapes study on. Uh, but I did do enough skimming social medias uh, and tapes, previous notes, etc., to just submit some early picks. And uh, Shane Burgess was one of those, and I'm like, dude, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And I, and I really, you know, I actually did tape study on this one, but um, even the whole time still, I'm like, ah, you know, it's just, am I getting, is it one of those things where Josh Emmett, for whatever reason, is one of those fighters where you, you could pick against or write off, and Shane Burgos is... No surprise anybody listening to this podcast, someone I've liked for a long time. I had an eye on ever since, you know, Burt Watson at a junkie gathering years ago when I was asking him, like, who's who's up and coming guys? Who's who's someone you think we're gonna, you're going to see in the UFC and who's going to have it? And he's like, Shane Burgos, without even hesitating. And I'm like, wow. Uh, sure enough, Shane made it to the UFC and he's done pretty good for himself out, outside of uh, outing with Calvin Cater. But you look at it, Calvin Cater is a, a puncher, and I, I don't doubt his punching abilities, whether I picked him or not. Again, folks, uh, not only did I pick him against Stevens, but I told you he's going to be one of the few people to stop Jeremy Stevens, and sure enough. So when he has one against punchers or you know proficient strikers, is that it? Um, he's getting hit with, because he's getting hit with right hands like all the time. Uh, some of it more than others. Some of it you can tell he doesn't really respect the right hand, like of uh, Maquan Americani, which I get it. Maquan's not the most ferocious striker, especially after round one. And, um, you know, it was a bit uh, messy and crazy, but he, you know, he handled him accordingly, got him out of there, pursued the finish all the way to the better end. But there's a price to pay for Burgos's slipping countering styles. Um, you know, uh, I didn't, uh, I, I, um, boy, I gotta get on, uh, I gotta get with this Patreon thing. I feel like everybody, everybody's on board with it, but, uh, I, I know Jack Slack posted something on his Patreon. I saw him post it on Twitter. I know, obviously, Jack Slack does amazing work. Um, but, uh, I forget what the headline it was, but it was something along those lines. Like, he pays a price, uh, for his style. Now, you know, he gets a lot of finishes early. So he seems to get his range early and interviews I was listening to, which did a lot of James Lynch in, uh, on, on that Score MMA uh, YouTube channel. Big shouts to them and James. Um, you know, Shane is, is saying that he's like, yeah, you know, he's got a big right hand, but I think I can get a beat on it. Um, and that's kind of a scary proposition because even, you know, it's like you can't say, oh, once he gets a beat on it, it'll be fine once he gets past round one because it's like, well, no. Calvin Cada finished him in round three, and we've seen, of course, Josh Emmett against Michael Johnson in a fight that he was uh, losing um, score a knockout in round three. Um, so it, it's really tricky. Um, Josh Emmett is one of the guys amongst a few who I, I, I would predict may not make weight because of the shorthand matchmaking. He's a big guy. He needs, like, everything right to hit 145, and so is Shane, but Shane just... Um, Seems like a maniac with his discipline and cardio, and that shows in his fights. Um, Shane seems to think Josh Emmett is going to try to take him down, which I, I never felt it was a big part of his game. Like, can he do it? Does he do it? Yes. And does he do it to score? Sure. But 
It just doesn't feel like the most strongest part of his game. And I feel like I still ended up, I never changed my pick. So the pick is Shane Burgos here. But I feel like the value, not just because he's in the underdog, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like there's there's some value on Josh Emmett, um, plus money and all. But also because I guess what I'm trying to say is that, you know, am I getting bullshitted here just because of what I said earlier? Looking for a reason to discount Josh Emmett or looking for a reason to pump up a style that I like with Shane Burgos. But as much as you like a style, not every style is invincible. Every style has a thwart. And what's going to thwart Shane Burgos' style? Or maybe a guy who can control the wrestling enough uh, and can counter with emphatic, life-changing power. And who has got life-changing power in this division? Josh Emmett's toward the very top of that list, you know? Um, so this could just be a hiccup for Shane Burgos. He could be knocked out fast or winning the whole time and knocked out. I wouldn't be surprised. Props to y'all if you're taking a plus-money shot on Mr. Emmett. Uh, that being said, reaffirming that that the reach is going to be five inches plus as long with a height five inches plus um seeing uh shane use more of a jab than i remember i th i feel like he 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 can win this fight should he be able to take the power not that he wants to take the power i think he's got to know about that right hand like he said um and i think if josh emmett goes to take him down it's going to be worse for him or if Josh Emmett hurts Burgos early and can't finish him, I think that's going to be bad. You know, especially if Josh either kills himself to make weight or kills himself and still misses weight, and then he exerts a lot of takedowns or hurts Burgos, like many of us think, but then he can't finish him, right? Um, and then you just got a building demon on you, um, and Burgos is outclassing him, and we're like, oh yeah, well yeah, this is what was going to happen all along. So for that reason, I ended up sticking with the Burgos pick, but. I'm throwing it on my avoid list because I'm so conflicted, clearly. And, um, you know, it's an important fight. I like both guys, although I really like Shane Burgos much more stylistically. There could be a bias there because of that. So from my perspective of giving you my pick to what I'm personally playing, it's on my avoid list, but the pick is Burgos. That being said, if you think Emmett's going to get the knockout and you play it, I don't hate you. And even though the number is starting to climb, but if you got Burgos, you know, anything minus 140 or below even, like, you know, there's an easy argument to make that he can outclass Emmett. So, like, I don't blame anybody. That's why I feel weird putting it on the avoid list because I feel like there's going to be people on both sides of this and both sides as an argument here. Um, I've just maybe I've gotten myself into my own head for whatever reason or the reasons I've stated. So, picks Burgos. Sorry for the long breakdown. Next ones won't be so long, uh, but I'm staying away. Um, also on the stay away list, and I was conflicted to the very end, but I actually went through and watched tape as painful as some of it was. But we got uh, Raquel Pennington minus 175 and Marion, the Belizean bruiser, plus 155. Um, I'm glad I went with my gut here, I guess. Well, maybe I'm not, right? We'll see how the fucking fight plays out, but... I ended up uh, submitting Marion Renault, and I was kind of skeptical about it because I got appreciation for Rocky Pennington too. But just what was in my head, I didn't like. And then I went back and watched the last couple fights of each, and I was like, yeah, um, it's deceptive. Win or lose, it's deceptive, you know? Um, Marion Renault, you know, she really makes some really poor decisions and gets um, rounds stolen from her. 
uh, when she fights, um, who is it? It's not, uh, not Mama Kunitskaya. <laughs> Mama Kunitskaya. Yana Kunitskaya. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kat Zingano, right? Uh, but that could just been a stylistic match. And, uh, you know, I would, you know, I would bet Kat to beat, uh, that version of Kat to, be, uh, of 2018, a bit in Raquel. And I know they fought and Kat did beat her. I'm just... Saying even within that, you know, within that context of relevant time or relevant to that time of 2018 and 2019, we haven't seen her since March 2019, which is crazy, right? So maybe perhaps that's another reason for the line. Um, she faced Yana Kunitskaya, and it's pretty competitive. Yana, I forget how big Yana is, man, because Marion is a big, strong 135, and Yana was just almost looked like another weight class. And I saw Yana Kunitskaya, like, before, like, they were publicized a couple um, at like the contender series shows, like when he was hot, when he was still like hobbling around, it was all like pretty seriously braced and crutched up. And I didn't even recognize her. I was just like, Oh, okay. Look at, uh, my head to Santos got the, uh, the thick, the thick mama's, uh, helping him around. Look at that. Yeah. That's good on him. Good on him. They look cute. And I didn't even realize it was Yana Kunitz guy. I thought it was just some like, you know, this very, just very athletic, um, you know, Broomhilda type chick, and I'm like, oh, that's Yannicka with Sky, okay. And I go back to rewatch five, I'm like, oh yeah, you forget, you forget. Um, you know, I, man, she must, she gotta be disciplined to make that weight. And I hope I'm not coming off of derogative, but I don't mean it at all. Um, you know, again, hint, hint, uh, I say Mama Kunitskaya. She's an attractive woman, uh, clearly, so I'm not trying to be negative here, folks, when I say that. Uh, I know we're all we're all sensitive these days. You gotta be careful. Um, they're both beautiful women, by the way. Uh, this guy and Renault, Renault, man, she's funny. She's gonna be forty three on fight night, killing it. Renault, um, a little positivity there, Dan. Where are you going? I don't know. Pull up, stay on target, stay on target. Uh, but like, yeah, you. It was a pretty competitive fight, and then you just see. Renault smashed her over, and that was one thing you could see. Like Renault's got power, man. That you could tell these girls really feel, and that will lead to them taking her down, and either grinding out decisions that usually Renault will not come out on top of, or they'll get choked by Renault, and or you know because uh, they don't want to get finished, or they'll take her down and enter a guard. And she actually has a good guard, even though you know pulling guard has costed her. Uh, but you can also see kind of why, because even good grapplers like Zingano were like, okay, I want none of this. I'm going to stand back up. Because that's how she gets back to her feet a lot. Um, her get-up game is still lacking, although her wrestling, and, as far as the clinch and defending shots, have uh, slightly improved over the years. Um, her get-up game is still lacking in the sense of it's, she's not using get-ups. She's either attacking, she's pretty much usually just threatening submissions and scaring people off, and they just back out. Um, which says something. And Raquel Pennington's kind of like Paul Felder, you know, where you talk about the striking, but they're quietly, you know, uh, an effective grinder, grappler, can ground and pound, or will, uh, will, will lock up a submission or choke if you give them the opportunity. And that is Raquel Pennington. Um, and Raquel Pennington can, if she's gonna, she wins, it's going to look like the Kat Zingano fight in the sense of Mary Renault's going to piece her up and do the more damage, but then she's going to give away key parts, particularly toward the end of the round because uh, by the end of the round the fight fighters don't want to exchange with Renault so they're either pushing her in the cage or if they're confident they can stay out of her submissions they're taking her down and grinding her out um, 
And that's what Raquel Pennington's been doing. Everyone was surprised to see the Holly Holm fight end that way, but end up that way. But I'm like, both girls have been trending to clenching. Like, why should we have not expected this to happen? So, I think uh, Pennington's definitely going to look to do that, especially seeing how people have been able to mute Renault before. However, Pennington's been real hit and miss there too. And even the girls she did quote unquote beat there, like. She was kind of supposed to beat them there, like the Irene Aldanas of the world in certain uh, instances, I believe, of memory serves. And even like a lot of those fights were splits that could have gone the other way. Um, but, you know, she was able to seal the deal with the Aldana fight uh, with, uh, you know, getting that top position at the end of the round. Hence how Renault could potentially lose this fight. Uh, and then she just had to bank on having a, just won one of those rounds from Aldana which she did in the judge's eyes. Um, so, yeah, but if you look at it, you know, you can really scrutinize, and I like Misha Tate, but, you know, you can, if you look at where people were in their career, you can kind of scrutinize some of these decisions and who Rocky's beaten and whatnot. And from what I thought in my head to what I confirmed in a lot of these fights, albeit not so much in relevant fights, win or lose, Raquel just looks like she wants out of there by the third round. She's just like, fuck, frustrated, just, uh, like, not gassing by any means. She's having strong rounds statistically and and literally, like in the Aldana fight, uh, and putting stamp on things when she needs to. So it's not like, oh, she's gassing out or giving up or anything. I'm not, and I'm not saying or implying anything like that, but there's just something like, ah, I'm over this. And she's in that point where she's in late prime to where she could still be in her prime, but she could also be falling out of it, you know? fighting since 2009, you know, so she's going on year 12. Year 12 to 14 is where you kind of uh, fall out of that peak usually. You see the peak, but you're also starting to fall out of the peak. So where is Pennington in that in that um, state? You know, we've, we've seen her come in in varying conditions as well, you know. Um, also, you know, what kind of abuse? You, know, you talk about the early injuries early in her sports career from breaking her back as a senior in high school to almost losing her leg. Of course, and then she gets the leg kicks, you know, from Amanda Nunez, which probably wasn't weren't gonna feel good anyways. But you're like, oh, is is the injury in her head? Well, another thing is, I think in like three of her last four fights, she's gotten her nose busted up pretty good. I want to say Raquel Pennington, if not three of her last five for sure, if not three of her last four. And when your nose gets busted up like that, it can be really easy to offset. It can be easy to happen again. You know, something about noses or orbitals, something like that, when you get them busted and broken a couple times, like fighters can get in their own heads with it. And Renault, she's got a pretty good left hand as well as her right, too. Um, and you saw how she rearranged Yana Kunitskaya's nose. So that's something that I'm actually going to be looking for. Now, the small cage will probably encourage Raquel Pennington if she's looking to get her grapple on and... Again, she's a much better grappler than she leads on, so maybe maybe she is good enough to stay on top uh, and frustrate Renault, right, and bank those rounds. Uh, so in that sense, okay, I could get why she's favored there. But I don't, I don't know if either of these girls, by the way, not picking on Raquel here, but I, I don't know if either of these girls, particularly Raquel, is someone you want to bet as a favorite. Um, so I'm not going to bet Renault. 
Uh, unless maybe if I'm having a good night by this point, maybe I'll sprinkle a little bit. This one's actually going to be on my avoid list, though. But the pick is Marion Renault because even though the smaller cage could encourage a case for Pennington, I believe that the middle ground on whatever small cage theory you want to subscribe to, I believe that the logical middle ground is that it encourages more action. To what percent, we can argue on, but uh, regardless, to deny that it's not a degree would be silly. And in a fight that's going to produce a lot more action, I'm going to side with the girl who's more potent to get a finish on the floor, whether it's strikes, whether it's submissions, or on the feet, being that she's the more powerful athlete um, and possibly the more speedier athlete, Marion Renault. Let's see if she learned these lessons like she claims she... She has an interview. She's had plenty of time to work. Definitely a story I can get behind from the age, you know, and, uh, the Randy Couture-like age. And let's not forget, folks, not dissing on the ladies here when I say that they're, they're a little more behind. But they're like in, like, UFC 84 to UFC 104 territory. If, like, that makes sense if you're getting my analogies. So, you know, we can still have these older athletes and outliers, you know, or just being an, an athlete uh, with some with some solid skills gets you really far regardless of your regardless of your age they're, they're still within that their own era of MMA in that regard um, and then also with her inspiring story um, as far as just you know she's a teacher who's really had to adjust man these teachers you know making you know making fun of these journalists or me making fun of myself I should say as far as you know the suggesting period we've had to go through like all these teachers have had to do that too. They have to like learn Skype and all this other crap and be there for their students. And uh, she has a son who couldn't be supposed to graduate this year. So it's hard not to be cheering for Renault, man, to really just put some a big positive injection into that. So I'm, I'm going to pick Renault to upset here and not go and not go three straight. Um, all right. I talked so long that uh, I logged out of um, the odds there. So I pull these up to the next fight. I'll try to get through these a little, uh, a little faster, folks. Um, Bilal, remember the name Muhammad minus one twenty-five. Come back on Lyman, good plus one hundred five. Um, I would say values on good. This is like a dogger pass. It's so close, especially you know. And I didn't watch it fresh, but I remember being impressed by his. Uh, Performance against Chance, uh, oh. um, you know, takedown defense and keeping composed and being able to get that third round TKO. Um, but you know, but if he doesn't finish Bilal Muhammad, Bilal keeps coming. He's like the goddamn Energizer Bunny. Now I don't know if Bilal's going to be able to get takedowns, even though he keeps improving in it all over his grappling area, but. Bilal knows that pressure is the key, um, you know, at least from interviews about this matchup that I've heard. And I think that's the key, too. That's why I picked Bilal. Uh, but then, you, you you know, you hear Lyman Good losing his father, plus he had the COVID. Like, damn, man. Life ain't fair, man. And uh, props to Lyman Good fighting with the heavy heart. Um, I have a hard time betting against guys like that. But I would say if you do like Bilal, Decision is plus 130 if you're looking for plus numbers. Otherwise, it's it's kind of dog or pass, and that's someone picking Bilal. Um, I mean, you sprinkle however you want. I don't know. I'm weird. I let morals get in the way sometimes. <laughs> I feel bad, man. Dude's like tearing up in his interview, and um, 
you know, fucking more power, man. You know, pain is pain, dude. And there's nothing to be ashamed about tearing up. He's a fucking fighter, dude. And ain't nobody going to question the cojones on that, man. And Western culture has just emasculated any sense of balance or emasculate men for any sense of balance. But, um, dude, fucking being, being vulnerable and, and, and showing tears is it's nothing wrong. It, you know, it's nothing wrong with that. And a lot of, from happiness to wanting it so bad to just pain. It's a natural human reaction that we all probably should do more as men. We probably fucking live longer. You know, I'm writing, I didn't cry for like a certain stretch of my life. I thought something was fucking wrong with me. I'm like, I probably have lost years of my life from it. And now I can't, like, research a fucking UFC card without, like, coming across something that gets me teary-eyed. <laughs> uh, Samurai is some of the most acclaimed warriors that, that you know, that this world has seen. And they always made it a point. The reason why they loved flowers and cherry blossoms because it represents the fragility of life. How fast it can come and how fast it can go, folks. And having appreciation for art, nature, and beauty are things that we tend to emasculate men for in the Western world. <laughs> With uh, not-so-nice names, but um, let embrace it. So hopefully Lyman Good can embrace all that, find an outlet for it, win or lose. He can get all that energy out. I can't imagine having to go through a camp with that pain. We saw Cody Stammen just break down, you know, after it, holding it in, man. I'm just... I'm in just, I'm sorry, I'm going, I'm waxing poetic here. I'm just, it really, it's because I'm in just such awe with how much fucking bullshit these fighters have to put up with. Like, real life bullshit that people out there seem to forget because we're, we're in the society that loves to focus on people at their lows. Whether things are right or wrong, whether they're in context or not. It's you're at a low, I'm not. Look at you to bolster me. And uh, so when I see people in a low, man, I, I can't help but fucking root for them, man. And um, especially these fighters with just what we see with pay and all these things going against them. Like, to have to fight at a time like that, that's got to be intense. So, <laughs> On that note, I'm thinking Muhammad, but goddamn, man. Um, I, do I feel for Lyman Good? Roosevelt Roberts minus 250, Jim Miller plus 210. Uh, by the way, I forgot to, t to talk about uh, Volkanovsky's Metalocalypse Cornerman in my notes here. Uh, you know, if Volkov or Volkov, Alexander Volkov, if he wins, we, we'll get to see his uh, Metalocalypse corner man. It's like this tall guy who looks like, you know, the 90s metalhead friend you all had or wish you had in the 90s, uh, at least from my experiences. You know, and he does the translating for Volkov. Uh, yeah, basically, he says, very good fight, and uh, we're here for the, uh, the right reasons. And uh, it's like... I don't know. I don't know why. The, the guy just seems very comical to me. And my other note while we're on this, come back on Jim Miller plus 210. By the way, I'm, I'm picking, you know, I know, I know uh, who is it that always tweets me, obligatory blind bet on Jim Miller. Believe me, I, I feel you. My heart is always obligatory blind betting on Jim Miller, but um, I think this is a tough matchup for him. I got Roosevelt Roberts here, and uh, I'll explain why, but as I stumble upon, my God, you know, for as long as I whack at some of these fights and some of the stats and things I'll pick up and go into, you'll think, like, my notes are some of the most in-depth things. And depending on what notes we're talking about, you're right. However, 
the single page podcast notes were that's like my final draft of things that I'm collecting certain notes on, but just jotting my plays down. The thing has the most weirdest. Sometimes it'll be stacked with like useful notes. And then there's many weeks like this week where there'll be like fucking two notes for the whole card. And it'll be one I just gave you, Volkov, which just says Volkov Metalocalypse Corner Man. And the other note is Jim Miller Black Dildo. <laughs> what? Dan, this is a family program. Uh, sorry, but I'm. Uh, anybody that's been to Jim Miller's Instagram knows where I'm going with this. <laughs> just so this isn't, I mean, not that Dan doesn't have, Dan and Tom doesn't have a sick fucked up head, but this actually is not from incarnated from that, believe it. Or not. Um, yeah. So, you know, interviews and social media is almost more important to see where these fighters' headspaces are at in this this pandemic time. And old Jimmy might be losing it out there on the farm in Jersey. And Stillwater, Jersey. <laughs> you go out there. And apparently, like, he's laying, like, electric dog fence. And, uh, and I'm like, God damn it, Jim Miller. You know, you know and, and you know, as Jim Miller says, it's for their freedom. Before people start get, giving him shit. But then I also see he's got the electric dog collars. I'm like, God damn it, Jim. What's going on? What is that thing like, you know, live long enough to be the hero or live long enough to be the villain? I'm like, don't go Daniel Cormier on me. <laughs> people don't know. I've always been a big you know, DC fan. But then in, in recent years, and especially now in recent months, you know, I'm just like from, from cracks in the fighting style to the, <laughs> to the personality even with this fighter pay talk and this uh, really, you know, He's really not helping the teacher's pet stereotypes, let's just say. And uh, even though part of me wanted to still, like, wave the flag to, you know, uh, you know, kind of poke at friends of mine, you know, um, who who, uh, who dislike DC. <laughs> now, I don't even know if I can play that heel gimmick now. Uh, and unfortunately, I feel like, you know, another, like, a long time, you know, guy, it's like, you know, like, MMA, man. Fucking, you stick around long enough and... You just, and here I am being a hypocrite. I'm not being serious, folks. I'm not trying to be all cancel culture because you find a, find a facet of someone's opinion, uh, you know, personality you don't like. But, but, but no, but in a semi joking spirit, I'm like, oh, what's going on here, Jim? Anyways, he's laying the electric fences for the dogs. And uh, he stumbles upon a big black dildo. He's like, what's this? And, uh,. <laughs> No, he's his whole breakdown on it, and it just looks really bad because he's waving it around. You can hear his kids like playing around them, playing in the background. I'm like, oh Jesus, he's got this big American flag, you know, tied around his head. I'm like, what the fuck is going on, Jim? And then he's got his other like quarantine, like he's got posts like later on, and like he's like talking about his haircut or something, and then all of a sudden he's got the the dildo in his hand. I'm like, what is going on, Jim? Like. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, racial sensitivity and unrest going on. You're uh, fighting a black man, and uh, you're taking to your Instagram wearing an American flag, waving a black dildo around. I don't know what people are going to take from face value. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Damn, we want a breakdown. What are you talking I'm sorry, folks. This is, just, this is where my breakdown led me, and I just ended up on this, this rabbit hole. And... Uh, I didn't check Jim Miller's Instagram, but I got, I hope he kept up with the gimmick and tried to sneak that thing through security. <laughs> Business or pleasure? Both. <laughs> All right. Uh, on that note, I got Roosevelt Roberts. <laughs> what a segue. Uh, 
I. I was about to say I got Rose Roberts. I like him in this matchup for his length. And god damn it, that just got ruined. I'm trying to be serious with my analysis now. Now everything's going to be tied to that. Thank you, Jim Millison. Millison! Um, no, I do like Roosevelt Roberts laying. Jim Miller traditionally doesn't do well against longer fighters. Uh, it, not just for the obvious, it, it causes them to close the distance more, but closing that distance becomes dangerous when those long fighters have a ground game. When they don't, like an Alex White, it's okay. Not trying to take a shot at Alex Sling Baden, Sling Blade. Alex White, yeah, Dan, you don't want to take a shot at him as you include a Sling Baden shot. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm a douche. What can you say? Um, but uh, when they have a grappling game, particularly a guillotine game, again, Jim Miller, excellent guillotine, excellent black belt, but he's not beyond getting choked or uh, guillotined himself by longer individuals, and Roosevelt Roberts has a mean one, and he can grapple from all positions. He even can uh, wrestle some, some, so I don't know if he gets the finish. It might be painful to watch, but I like Roosevelt Roberts' volume, takedown, ground game, and propensity to finish. For that reason, um, I had someone ask me, I don't know if they want, I don't want to Reveal them if they don't want to be revealed, but um, they asked me a great question as far as DraftKings, which I've been neglecting. Uh, Curtis Blades, I haven't taken a look at the price. I imagine he's going to be at the top of the list, as he should be, because he's going to be your highest scorer. But I think low-key scorers could be um, Brianna Van Buren, who we'll get to in a second, and Roosevelt Roberts, for who I just mentioned, volume. Uh, Jim doesn't you know, fight takedowns much a lot of times. Roosevelt will go for him against the cage, and um, the propensity to finish... You know, the numbers that he could put up on him, etc. Um, that being said, uh, uh, you know, um, well, actually, I am playing Roberts. He's going to be a parlay piece. He's one of my uh, parlay pieces here in the three piece, uh, unfortunately. I know I'm betting against Jersey. Uh, Jim Miller, one of my favorites of all time. Doesn't mean he's not one of my favorites of all time, folks. I'm just, I'm, I just got to be honest as an analyst and honest with my audience as far as what I'm betting, for better or worse. It's the truth. Love Jim Miller, hearts with Millison, but the pick is Roberts. <laughs> I'm going to check Jim Miller's Instagram after this. Jesus, Dan, come on. Bobby Green, minus 250. And Clay Guida, plus 210. Back in the day, I used to call him Clay Gaudia. I don't know why. Because I couldn't. I'm dyslexic. That's probably why. Um, Bobby Green, um, I can see why he's favored like that. You know, he, he could be a hard guy to trust. Um you know, he hasn't been the nicest to me and my junkie radio crew in one interview, but that doesn't mean I don't like him because he was nice in all the other ones. And uh, I can separate that bias for style. I like Bobby Green's style. He's very underrated in his wrestling because he doesn't use it offensively, but defensively it's very good, and I think we're going to see that against Clay Guida. He's also not bad with submissions. I mean, people forget Bobby Green um, getting submissions early on in his career, um, even earlier in his UFC career. You know, third round, even against wrestlers later in the fight, like Jacob Johnny Christmas Volkman, I believe, if memory serves. And uh, you go early in his career, and he's he's hit them guillotines. Granted, they're on guys like Herman Torado, which I didn't realize that guy was fighting back then. Uh, all the way back then, he was a PFL tourney uh, fighter at 170. He's a thick, um, you know, uh, piss through steel 170. Uh, also, uh, in, off the top of my head, another guy who I believe is a smaller guy. Um, 
Yeah, oh, Bantamweight, Enrique Briones, who he guillotined as well, I believe, off the top of my head. A little trivia there, Bobby Green. Uh, Clay Guida has been submitted 10 times now. Only been TKO twice, which was surprising. Brian Ortega flying knee and Chad Mendez. So those are kind of athletic outliers slash outlying submissions slash in close positions. That being said, I would not be surprised if Clay Guida gets stopped by Bobby Green. That being said, the reason why he's only been TKO twice is because Clay Guida knows how to survive. Uh, B, but C, if that survival skill that I'm hinting and referencing in wrestling and grappling uh, backfires on him against a better grappler, he ends up getting choked. So um, for that reason, I think Bobby Green inside the distance at um, plus 130 is uh, is worth a look at if you're looking for an angle here because... Uh, Claire Guida seems to be only be more do or die, and especially if you really break, you know he's he, he's been hurting a lot of his fights recently. You look at who he's won, you do that whole math and dissecting math. Like yeah, he's got a win over B J Penn, but that was the ghost of B J Penn, etc. etc. I mean it's it gets pretty uh, it gets pretty shifty there. Um, so I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Bobby Green there. Uh, I'll probably end up sprinkling in that plus one thirty. But I, Bobby Green is also the third uh, leg of, uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ, speaking of, I'm um, giving Jim Miller shit for making jokes in racially insensitive times, but what I call the passenger 57 parlay, always bet on black, as my man Wesley Snipes says, because I, <laughs> I parlayed Blades, Roberts, and Green, I just happened to parlay, gotta back the brothers. Uh, I just happened to play. Oh, that was that was that was not that was honestly by coincidence, folks. And I I was giggling as I did that. I'm like, wow, did I really just when I went cause when I skimmed through to my process elimination through parlay places, I'm like, did I really just come up with all the <laughs> all, all, all the black dudes that I'm, uh, I'm I'm picking and getting behind? I'm like, I guess so. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> at the risk of being me too in the cancel culture day, um, this can be the passenger fifty seven parlay. <laughs> course hopefully you guys know me by now know my intent i shouldn't have to shouldn't have to explain myself that this is but but yeah that's um i don't think that's offensive is it is it racist 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 quote old bill burr uh, skit which was also a tosh point skit i believe but yeah you can get a like neighbor to plus 108 and i just put two units um on blades roberts and green to get it done because i like them both as fighters and and in these fights even if it's against some of my favorites, like uh, in the Jim Millison case. So there's that there. All right, uh, Brianna Van Buren minus two twenty-five. Tisha Torres plus one eighty-five. I won't. I was wanted to go bias for Tisha Torres. Oh, this is on the avoid list, but man, um, I'm rooting for Torres. I really want to pick her here. But when you look at the wrestling base, the brown belt, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, the camp. Another fellow stout stylist. Man, I think it's going to be a tough night for Tisha Torres. So I'm going to pick Brianna Van Buren. Uh, I think she could be a low-key uh, score because she's going to have to go takedowns uh, for DraftKings if you want to go contrarian, if that is even contrarian. Uh, but, yeah, uh, I'll be rooting for Tisha, but the pick is Van Buren. Um, Oscar Piazza, Piazza. Oh, Danny's not an Ewok. De 
Uh, Oscar Piachota, a.k.a. Detlef Shrimp, as I like to call him, minus 110, dead even, with Marc-Andre Barrio, minus 110. Um, this is a tricky one. I, I, I like Piachota here, and I actually may play him if he goes to plus money, and this money keeps going up. Now, I, I guess I could get why the degenerate money, because no matter what side money comes into this fight, it's going to be degenerate. This is a degenerate fight. Um, it's going to be coming in on Marc-Andre Barrio because he's more of a process-driven fighter. Whereas Piachota is more of the finishing guy. And if it's going to be an ugly fight in the small cage, Mark Barrio should be able to push it up against the cage and make it ugly. Piachota, for better or worse, he's gotten check hook knockouts or he's been knocked out with left hands, as we saw against Punelli Seriano, for hanging out outside of the cage. So I totally see the logic there. I just feel like it was bad decisions slash bad performances slash deceptively bad matchups all kind of playing a uh, playing a role there not saying he should have won or was robbed or anything i'm just trying to make the argument that um detlef shrimp oscar piachota is uh better than he is perceived to be or at least his record would lead on um so i'm actually going to pick him for being the better uh not finished product, but on the floor and a poor propensity to get a finish on the feet. Um, and I'll pick him. And uh, I won't, if I do play him, it'll be a degenerate and sprinkle on only if he goes to plus money. Um, next fight, Jillian Robertson still holding on to a slight favorite status at minus 115, uh, minus 105, uh, Courtney Casey. Um I picked Casey here, and when I was doing that skim through where I didn't do, I'll admit, I didn't do the most hardcore, and I actually made a play here. I didn't do the most hardcore tape study on this one, but I did enough to make a pick, as for the previously mentioned junkie staff picks, on the beginning of the week. And I was surprised to see Casey as the dog. I know she's taking it on short notice, but she just got done with a fight where she didn't take any damage, and she got used to fighting in the COVID era, so she has she's more active, has all that going for her. And Courtney Casey is another fighter who is definitely, again, whether you're picking here or like her, superfluous. It's hard to not be critical and, and not uh, uh, agree that, you know, she is better than her record leads on. There's a lot of close decisions that could have gone her way and arguably should have gone her way. She hits deceptively hard. Um... You know, and I had, and she seems to, you know, I think the the move to 125 isn't going to hurt her size wise. She's still going to be huge compared to all the girls, but now she's not killing herself or her performances as much with the weight cut, uh, quick turnaround. But again, 125, she's used to this environment, etc. Her specialties, arm bars, opportunistic jujitsu play, um, should nullify uh, Jillian Robertson's. And even though I was backing Robertson to make that jump against Barber. Um, which, you know, again, knee injury or not, which we'll reference again with the Montefiore fight, wasn't so wrong to question or play against Barber, per se. However, not only did, obviously, Robertson lose, but I would argue she still didn't show me that comfortability. I didn't see that comfortability on her face or otherwise in certain striking exchanges or otherwise that I want to see. And Courtney Casey's a mean girl who brings the heat, man. So I, I like her a lot. Um, I got her at plus 100. Uh, I usually am not one to be able to say that. <laughs> feels nice. Uh, well, maybe we'll see if it feels nice, right, on, on the night. But, um, you know, 
um, it's rare for me to be able to, you know, kind of say a, say a line early, unfortunately, and for people trying to tail late. But uh, we'll see if it goes back to plus money. But uh, if it doesn't, play at your own risk. But I, I played it for plus 100. Next fight, I know people want to hear my uh, take on this one. We got Frank Tamat- Camacho, minus 325. Justin James, plus 265. I was leaning toward Frank to upset, even though I didn't hate on Steamroller. Uh, it sucks for Steamroller, legitimately. But uh, Justin Janes uh, comes in. Man, Justin, uh, this guy, I'm so happy. I'm so excited to be able to see like someone that like you've seen fight, you've shared the training room with, you've gotten your ass kicked thoroughly a number of times by, make it to the big show. It makes me so freaking happy. I know a lot of Extreme Couture people, loose affiliations, sure, this or that. Some I'll claim the bias, some I won't. Um, Justin, I definitely got to, man. Um, You know, Justin was the guy who, you know, only people in recent years started realizing, like, the Michigan scene people were making a living as an amateur because they were being able to get paid and fight and fight, and there wasn't a regulatory, any type of regulatory database or body really going on there. Um, so Justin only has like a few of his amateur fights listed, but the dude I think like has over 50 fucking amateur fights, folks. Um, and because while he wrestled in college in Michigan, um, just for to stay competitive, shape, some, some, some beer money, uh, you know, and he would fight. So his whole fucking college tenure and then some... He was sitting there fighting amateur, and then he would travel to cross-train at Extreme Couture, like, I think as early as, like, 09 back in the day. So I remember him coming out to Tough Enough fights, like, um, if you see, I don't know if it's his official nickname, Guitar Hero on there, you're wondering why. Because he used to come out, and and again, (laughs) Guitar Hero was more popular in the mid to late aughts. So he would come out with, like, the Guitar Hero guitar on his walkout, um... And, like, I remember one time he came out wearing a shirt that said, I shaved my balls for this. Like, Justin is a fucking character. But he's also a mean motherfucker. He works his ass off, you know. He runs the boot camp classes because he's a disciplined dude. You know, he, you know, he's up early to hunt, you know what I'm saying? Like, he don't, he don't care to get up early. He's a fucking tough wrestler. But not just that. He's a wrestler who doesn't mind jiu-jitsu. He's, like, a brown, legit brown belt in jiu-jitsu. Maybe a black. He could be very well be a black belt. He's really good. He knows how to do chokes. He's a very capable in position, scrambling defensively, offensively. Uh, very savvy. Ride like a motherfucker. will just punish you. Um, and then on the feet, he's heavy-handed. He's a shorter, a stouter guy. He would kill himself to make 145 because he's only 5'7". But even at 155, being a shorter, stouter guy, he's got heavy hands. He's never been stopped or submitted. He's very durable. Uh, it's not hard to find hip footage of him uh, dropping guys with his left or his right hand uh, or beating guys down with leg kicks, kind of like I said in the tweet before. Like, dude, like, and again, I know I'm fucking nobody, and I, I never said I was, but uh, um, I spent the majority of my life throwing punches and kicks with people, and some of those people were pretty good people, and Justin was one of them, and... Uh, my God, did it suck to always get when I get paired up with him. And I would take solace. My oma southpaw is his outside leg kick's not gonna be that strong. Well, like, you know that like little cheap little outside leg kick you do in the open stance where you really have to shift your stance open to hit him on the outside leg. It's like because you because the powerful leg kick on an open stance matchup is an inside leg kick, right? 
Um, you got to do one of those weird ones where usually you have to disguise it with a cross to get the angle to step to the outside, and then you can come out their outside leg uh, to hit it with a, you know, a, a leg kick to the thigh, the outer thigh there. Those are harder to put mustard on, and like, fucking Justin would cripple me with those ones, dude. Like, like that's how strong his weak leg kicks are with this like weak leg, <laughs> like. Yeah, and you look at how Frank Camacho, like from the, as my buddy Keith McKenna pointed out, that, that Jing Liang fight, and even others like win, lose, southpaw, orthodox, you can span relevant UFC fighters across four of his recent fights who, no joke, landed a hundred percentile of, of their leg kicks thrown on Frank Camacho. Um,. So, uh, you know, I, I don't want, I haven't been up to date or in the gym lately. I'm not going to front anything like that, pretend to know anything like that. And even things I do know, I, I keep things in house. But uh, let's just say that the leg kick thing that I was hinting at that are backed by stats, um, coaches at Extreme Couture aren't coaches at Extreme Couture for nothing. They, they know what's up. So it's biased. It is absolutely biased. Do not follow me off this cliff. But not only you bet your ass in my pick and Justin James. And I love Frank Camacho. He's one of the nicest freaking dudes. But he's another guy along with uh, Josh Emmett who I think um, is prone to miss weight. Like he needs everything to go right for him to, to be at 155. Like, I'm surprised they haven't kicked him out from the weight class because he's missed it so much. And he's had to do done catch weights and stuff even regionally. Like, and even in interviews where he's super positive and, you know, said he came in in shape, he still has to sweat this, sweat this, um, weight cut because all he's been able to do is at home workouts in, um, Guam. And so he's only had the last four weeks and which is what, three weeks because the last week is your weight cutting, you're traveling, you're take doing tests, COVID tests now, media, quarantine, etc. I mean, so what, he got three out of the four weeks here in the U.S. before his fight? I mean, then his opponent changed last minute. You know, uh, Frank Camacho, I know, he, I believe he's a brown belt or a black belt uh, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but I believe it's an older, you know, a lot of these guys that were ranked older, it's a more of an older style, and even, you know, not all styles, old, relevant, unique uh, translate to MMA. They all translate in varying degrees, right? Um, just not trying to call Frank out. He doesn't know what he does, you know. He, he, but he almost gets too comfortable, like when he turtles in tripods. Like, yeah, well, it was Benil Dariush, and Benny's a badass, and he choked him out. You know, Benny chokes out of black belts all the time, Dan. That's not necessarily an indictment. Sure, but even in that fight with Damian Brown, which you could argue that Damian Brown won, like, um, Frank Camacho almost got choked out by Damian Brown twice in the last frame of, of, of round one. Uh, Damian Brown, not exactly known to be a wrestler or back taker, but he worked Camacho in that first round. And if he was a little better, it would, he could have repeated what Benny Dariush did. Um, so that's kind of worrisome, you know. Those fights are spread apart. Uh, now you got a guy like Justin James who is a good wrestler who knows how to ride punish and can competently choke choke you out. Very underrated jiu-jitsu game. Um, I think Justin James gets him out of there inside the distance. He could do it by submission, but 
you know, since the Apex started doing fights, it seems to have a magnet for the leg kick TKO, folks. And I'm going to call leg kick TKO. Um, I only put a half unit on Justin James at plus 275, but I put a quarter unit on Inside the Distance at plus 425 because there is no TKO prop up. And uh, as of yet, as of the time I'm recording this, and again, he could get a sub too. So I just played him Inside the Distance, but... um. I think he gets the leg kick TKO, though, folks. So that's biased as hell, but there are some facts and stuff on that breakdown. So hopefully you found that uh, found that useful. Um, yeah, he's not going to be outreached or outheighted by Camacho, who's only 5'9", by the way, too. So, All right. Um, Roxanne Modafferi still holding on to her slight favor status at minus 115 wars. Lucky Lauren Murphy. It's creeped up to minus one. Why do you got to say her name like that, Dan? Um, I like Lauren Murphy, too. I don't know why I say her name like that. Uh, I, I, to prove that I like Lauren Murphy, I actually played her at the same case as Courtney Casey when I was doing that whole spiel. I was like, what? Lauren Murphy's plus 100? Um, I believe she fought recently, too, although I don't believe it was in pandemic era. But she's just been looking great since she switched her camp, you know? Kind of like an interview I listened to with... Um, that was a really good interview with James Lynch because they they covered a lot in that one. But um, she like she was saying in that like she was actually undefeated before she went to the MMA lab and has been undefeated since she left the MMA lab. Not shitting on the MMA lab, but there's probably something to that. And um, her physicality, Roxanne and Montefiore, uh, the key to her game, not just kickboxing and staying with it and clicking with John Wood or whatever you want to credit to. I think a lot of it too is the physicality. Uh, that binds it together that she didn't really have before. Montefiore, that is, was really worked out of the PI. However, Murphy's always had the physicality. That's kind of been the strength of her game. And even that has improved to her performances, her cardio, making weight, uh, and just, again, overall, performing. And speaking of performing, more than the strength, Laura Murphy just really seems to be putting the skills together, whether it's her striking or her very underrated grappling. Um, I agree with her there. I don't think she's going to be a pushover. There will be positions that if Montefiore gets her there, Montefiore could abuse uh, and, and definitely perhaps you know get some damage off and win the round off of if she's able to let her advance that far. But I'm not sure if she's able to do that, um, even though the small cage should favor the type of uh, fight Montefiore wants. Um, Montefiore also has shown that she'll, she'll kickbox and... I just think it's going to be an ugly fight, but Lauren Murphy comes to life in ugly fights too. And I think her physicality uh, and her flow, uh, as in regards to her momentum she's got going on, um, is going to make a difference here. Uh, so especially if you see her go back to plus money, the value's on Murphy, and she is the pick as well. Um, and again, I love Roxy, but uh, I just, I just think, I think, I think Murphy, Murphy's primed to upset here. Um, next fight, I don't even know if either of these guys were in. I think it was, was it supposed to be like Joe Selecki versus someone else. And then now it's Max Roshkoff, uh, minus 190. With the comeback on Austin Hubbard, plus 165. Hubbard will be coming up here with uh, Curtis Blades' as training partner. Uh, but this is uh, Vegas' uh, Roshkoff territory. You know, he's he's out, based out of here uh, in Vegas, Extreme Couture. Um He's got his buddy Jane's on the card now. He's going to familiar faces and corners um, all around. 
And this dude's the real deal, you know. Uh, choked out the experience of Zach Zane in his second-to-last fight. Uh, granted, has only had five fights. Not the most experienced guys aside from Zach Zane. And maybe his last opponent. Um, but he's been treating them accordingly, man. I mean, this guy, just a, a hybrid uh, submission wrestler. It's just insane. Uh, I don't know a lot on his striking. And I'm not sure if we're going to find out a lot. Because I think he's going to take some routes that Mark O'Matson uh some water please oh man Mark O'Matson's international they're gonna fly him out to Abu Dhabi where it's all hot water please um but uh I think he's going to uh take the Mark O'Matson route and uh, I think Mark Ro- Max Roshkoff's gonna uh, sub him so that's the pick it's a bias win again folks so don't uh don't follow me off the cliff but um dude for a guy who is gonna be like a, re- a, a a wrestling like 155 version of um Charles Dubronx. Anytime I'm gonna see plus money next to a submission prop next to this guy's name, I'm gonna take it. And for whatever reason, it's still it was still he's still hanging out at plus 145 by sub. So I took it. You don't have to follow me off that cliff, folks. Again, because I'm, I'm coming from a biased perspective here, but I feel like that's the way the fight's gonna go. And I feel like if this kid's as good as we're all saying and expecting him to be. Y'all are going to miss CM Plus numbers like that um, next to submission props for him. All right, let's recap it. Longer than I thought, but all right. Taking Blades over Volkov. Taking Burgos over Emmett, uh, a.k.a. Detlef Shrimp. Taking Marion Renault over Raquel Pennington. Taking Bilal Muhammad over Lyman. Good. Taking Roosevelt Roberts over Jim Milasson. Taking Bobby Green over Clay Guida. Taking Brianna Van Buren over Tisha Torres. Taking White Detlef Shrimp. Detlef Shrimp is, uh, I'm sorry, that wasn't Shane Josh Emmett. I'm sorry. <laughs> Taking Oscar Piajota. Detlef Shrimp over Mark Andre Barrio. Taking. Courtney Casey over Jillian Robertson. Taking Justin Janes over Frank Camacho. Taking Lauren Murphy over Roxanne Montefiore. Taking Max Roshkoff over Austin Hubbard. Um, I parlayed Blades, Roberts, and Green for some plus money at two units, a.k.a. the Passenger 57 parlay. Always bet on black. Straight plays, I got Courtney Casey plus 100. One unit on that I threw, plus 100 on Lauren Murphy. I got her at, threw a unit on that. Threw a bias half unit, and plus 275 on Justin James. Props, um, Muhammad by decision, plus 130. Worth looking at if you're looking for an angle there. I play green, plus 130 inside the distance. Roshkoff by sub, uh, plus 145 inside the distance. Played both those, by the way, uh, three-quarter units, and then a quarter unit sprinkle on another bias one there. James inside the distance, plus 425. On the avoids list, on the avoid list, Raquel Pennington versus Renault. It's a tricky one. Torres Van Buren, at least for me. And maybe not for you, but again, at least for me, um, Emmett Burgos, man. I'm going to be excited to watch that one, though. Believe ye me. Um, all right, folks, hopefully that wasn't too painful. Thank y'all uh, for sticking with me. Um, we'll be back next week for some more breakdowns. I got a fun top five episode coming uh, for you at the end of the month. 
Um, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, good luck this weekend. Much love to all my brothers and sisters. And always protect your best.